0: This week's podcast episode of Salvador is sponsored by Water for South Sudan, a United States nonprofit that seeks to water the seeds of change in South Sudan by drilling water wells so communities across Africa gain access to fresh water. Water for South Sudan also provides hygiene, education, and sanitation services. Using local leadership and staff, Water for South Sudan provides regular access to clean water, empowering communities to develop and bring greater stability to their regions. Water for South Sudan was founded by a former lost boy of Sudan, Salva Dutt. His story is told poignantly in his own words on this podcast episode. The best-selling book, A Long Walk to Water by Linda Sue Parks, was also written based on Salva's story. Water for South Sudan is supported by individuals, schools, faith-based organizations, civic organizations, and small foundations from all 50 states around the U.S. and 58 additional countries. For more information and to donate to this important cause, please visit waterforsouthsudan.org. everybody, welcome to Curly Girlies Podcast, Changing the Course. I am Atara, founder of the Curly Girl Movement, author of the Curly Girly book series, and owner of CurlyGirly.com. And I am here today with my good friend Grace Cross. Hi Grace, how you doing? Hi, Atara, I'm doing alright. How are you? Doing okay, thanks. Well, I'm Grace Cross. I'm the owner of The Baby Spot, the world's only global parenting magazine, and you can find me at thebabyspot.ca. Now, Atara and audience, we have such an important guest. Who do we have? Grace, audience, it is my pleasure to welcome Salva Dutt to our show. Salva is the protagonist of a very special book called A Long Walk to Water by Linda Sue Parks. In 1985, when Salva was only 11 years old, he tragically became one of the 17,000 lost boys of Sudan who fled Sudan's southern region during a two-decade civil war. During that flight, a significant number of the lost boys perished from hunger, thirst, disease, as well as wild animal and military attacks. Among the lucky survivors, Salva escaped to the relative safety of Ethiopia and later to Kenya. In 1996, Salva was brought to the United States where he lived with a family, completed a college education, and now serves as the founder and senior advisor for Water for South Sudan, a humanitarian not-for-profit organization, which provides access to fresh water and hygiene education into remote villages of native South Sudan, one of the world's poorest countries. Since 2005, Water for South Sudan has drilled more than 330 wells, serving hundreds of thousands of people. Welcome, Salva, to our show. We're so happy to have you all the way from Sudan, Africa. How are you today?
1: i'm doing well and thank you for having me oh we're
0: it's my pleasure to have you um we were hoping to get you in new york um but that was around i think april is when you were supposed to come in and i know that did not happen so i'm happy to have you all the way to from uh, sudan um first before we even get started talking about all of your experiences and the wonderful organization that you started i really want to just ask How is everybody doing in um, the southern region where you are with regard to the coronavirus and what's going on there? Fill us in.
1: It's tragic uh, so far, the way it looked like Uh, the coronavirus has hit us late and now it's coming really heavily. And uh, the bad news is this, uh, this. Uh, South Sudan is a poor country, vulnerable community, don't have enough facilities such as hospitals. Like let's say the hospital that I'm, the town that I'm in, it has one hospital and that hospital might not even take 1,000 people. Imagine. And, uh, and the people that are surrounding the city far away, we are talking about 100 miles, those people that would come to, to our town to have access to, to the hospital is a very challenging and dealing with a community that is illiterate, Without going to social media to check thing out to see what they, what is going on, there is very challenging game. And what we do now, we partner with UNICEF, and uh, we go to the community deeply with carrying soap and uh, water containers to make sure we give it to them to be able to wash their hand, and then tell them, guys this is what coronavirus means because they don't understand what it means by coronavirus and how did it start and what kind of disease. Sometimes they think that, oh, this disease will never come to us. But now it's coming. And, uh, and you know the water is the basic treatment now to the entire world uh, for this coronavirus because you need to make sure that you wash your hands and keep everything clean. If you don't, don't have that, would be difficult. And what we do, we are te- teaching them hygiene and training people within the village. They have something called a uh, center for, uh, they call it public uh, PHCC, pu- public health unit. And, and there's no bed there you can admit someone. This is where they gather, and then they will have uh, just a simple, basic stuff, treatment, but not enough for, uh, to admit someone there. And and these are the things that we are teaching them to make sure that they understand how to wash their hand and keep the distancing away from one another. And uh, yes, uh, it's very challenging and we are worried. We don't know what would happen. And we're still uh, drilling more wells to make sure that we provide uh, people have access to clean water because even with that hand palm, if we don't teach them well, they will pick up the germ right from the hand palm because... They have to pump it by themselves. That handle, if you don't wash your hand, then someone will come and touch that handle too to pump its water, and they will take the disease right away there. And we are teaching them to make sure that before you touch that handle, you need to wash your hand and keep it distant away. Yes, and this is what we've been doing because that's the only option that we have. We We don't have other ways to do it. It's not like in U.S. or Canada where you have water tap right in your Right, house. just turn
0: on the water. Right? It's not like that. Wow. It's a
1: different world completely. It Thank really you. is.
0: It is. You know, what strikes me so much about what you're saying is, you know, we take for granted, I'm sure, Grace, um, I could speak for you, and really almost everyone in, in both our countries take for granted the idea that um, we're literate and we can read. And because of that, um, information is easily disseminated to us. And um, we can consume a lot of things, like you said, on social media and on the Internet. We can you know, find our newspapers, and the facts of this disease are readily available to us. But if you cannot read, that presents such a challenge in really getting the word out to everybody about what's really going on. So I, it sounds like that's your first... Um, hurdle that you have is really just helping people to understand what's going on because they're not reading it for themselves, right? So um, I think uh, it it would be great just if you could give us like a little bit of a backdrop. I I hope everybody, you know, stays safe. You're doing such great work. Um, Just um, tell us a little bit. I know I want to talk about your experiences as one of the uh, Lost Boys of Sudan. If you could kind of just tell us what happened. I know I, I love your, the book, A Long Walk to Water. I, I read it, you know, I try to read it out loud to my children. I read it um, with my son out loud. Um, and it was just a beautiful, compelling story of what you went through, because you so vividly are described as this happy child sitting in a school classroom, thinking about your what are you going to eat for lunch when you go home when suddenly your whole life is really turned tragically around? So if you could just walk us through that morning when all of this happened, I would love to to hear that.
1: Thank you. Uh, Linda Sue did a great job with that book uh, so far. And many people, when they read it, they still think that I'm still a little boy, but I'm already an old man <laughs> now. And... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, because kids always, when they see me, they expect that I would be a little boy, but I'm not. Right. But yeah, it so, uh, was very tragic that day uh, when they're in the 80s. When it happened, while I was sitting right there in the class, and uh, well, before the class, let's say where I grew up is a simple life. Uh, I never have a house that uh, there was no house with the running water in it. I never sleep in the mattress. I never sleep in the bed. And uh, I didn't uh, eat three times a day, all this. But I was happy. I didn't have enough toys like what American kids have. And uh, at that time, what they used to do when you are a boy, you would be taken to school. And the girls were a man at home. My sister was at home, didn't get an opportunity to go to school. And uh because she will stay at home someday she will get married and then bring dowries to the family. And while I was taken to school, uh around ten AM, that's where the whole thing, my life was totally up, turned upside down completely. Uh they just the troops came in attacking the city, the well the village or the town, mm-hmm. until our teacher said that hey guys, let's guys get out here things become in chaos and when uh, we get out we find people running to one direction we just join one we don't join their running and you never even ask what is going on you just hear uh, where people are running along the way i've been with uh, some of the group that were running and people were running from after that we escaped that uh, fight people become separated you just go to where. it whatever direction that you think you should go to. I end up with the other people going to a different direction and we keep walking to eastward and uh, we keep walking, we keep walking and these people, I was young, was 11 years old and uh, and these people one time, we spent a night in a place in one of the elderly women's house and those guys, they left me at In that house, they left around five or four. I didn't know what time they left, really. And when I find myself, when I woke up in the morning, I find myself alone and there's no these people. And this elderly woman said, don't worry, those guys, they left and you can stay with me. And just, I will start crying. I stayed with her right there. The uh, other group were fleeing. And there, there was my uncle in that group that was fleeing and my uncle who was a soldier, a uh, retired soldier. And I was very lucky. I joined that group, I just to work with them. I fell completely to be depending
0: on uh, my uncle. Uh, it was a group of 25 people, including another. I just want to interject for one second, um, Salva. So just yeah. to give the backdrop. So you're um, thrust out of your school classroom, you're running with the group of people. At the time that you're running, like are you thinking, wait a second, should I go back home, check on my parents, my siblings? Or were you just thinking, I got to get out of here, just so that we have an understanding of what your mindset was? I need to go home. I just want to be with my family, my parents.
1: But the people said that your village has been burned down, you cannot go. And even when I was in that house of that the elderly woman, I just need to find a way how to get home. But I couldn't. and. Uh, and I couldn't get home completely until my uncle came thinking that we'll be able to go home. And when I met with my uncle, I said that I really need to go and be with my family. And he said, our village is all gone. It's been destroyed. And everyone will run to the swampy area, wherever we go and hide. Yes. in The grassy place. And there, anyway, we just, start continuing my uncle there and, uh, a lot of things happened before we reached to a refugee camp in Ethiopia. Uh, we lost two people, including my uncle, including that young bo- boy that was with me in that group. Right, your good friend. And we two months walking. Yes, my good friend, Marial. And uh, we walked for the good two months, and was, yeah, it was painful. And I remember, I fall behind some time and my uncle will say, hey, Salva, keep, Salva, we do that. keep walking. When we get to that tree, we will rest there and we'll find a place there to rest. Then I will keep up. It was encouraging me to keep walking. And uh, I remember when I lost my, my nail toe at that time because I headed to the lock of the tree there and then it was gone. And the shoes that I was wearing were curved out from the car tire. And they were broken too, and uh, everything was just a mess. And my foot was swelling, and everything was everything was harsh. Anyway, a lot of horrible things happened there until I lost him. And the guys that were with me, they said, "Salva, you need to keep. Don't cry anymore. If you cry again, we will abandon you." Right there, I didn't know where I could bring. Completely, I didn't know where I could string. I kept up. I never cry. I was always healthy, walking, tough until we reached the refugee camp in Ethiopia.
0: And how Place long did that Itan? take? Was that just uh, several months to get two, from two Sudan? Months. Two months. Two months, okay. Two months, yes. Two months,
1: yes. And when we get to that camp, what they did when you're a young person, you would be put in the orphanage camp. And that orphanage camp, that's where the name Lost Boy originated from. And right there in that camp, I was taken to the boys, to the orphanage camp, our group just grew up there and we become so many boys until we become 17 boys. Uh, 17,000. We that camp, we are taking care of 17,000 17, boys. And uh, we stay there for six years and we are doing everything by ourselves until I become one of the leader among the leaders there. I led 1,500 boys in my group, until Ethiopian themselves got in their own civil war, and we were chased away from Ethiopia. And then we had to walk back to, to Sudan by then, and then uh, to Kenya. That walk again took another one month or more to, to manage to go to the camp, to Kakuma refugee camp. At that time, when we reached to Kakuma refugee camp. Well, first of all, we get to another place. We spend two months there called Lokashiokyo before we get to Kakuma refugee camp. Right there within my group, I I lost almost 500 boys in my group.
0: Was that from uh, hunger? What was that from? Hunger, thirst, everything?
1: Some from hunger, disease, and all sort of thing. And some give up and been abandoned. And... uh, and uh, right there I stay, I spent another four years in the refugee camp in Kakuma before I went to U.S. And when I went to U.S., was sponsored there.
0: Oh, I can, we can only imagine. What was the process like, Salva? What was the process like to get sponsored by the U.S.? Can you tell us and elaborate a bit about that? The
1: process was like this. Uh, the U.N. people, let's the agency, the U.N. agency that work in the camp, excuse me, they go there and uh, do the process and say, and come and go to U.S. and say, hey, any church, any whatever community, could you sponsor sponsor such a number? And then they just pick people randomly. You don't have a choice to say that I'm going to this state or where because we didn't have people there. And, uh, And when you get lucky, then you will be taken to orientation to understand American culture but that orientation, orientation, you cannot get it because let's say example when they say snow, we never see snow in our life. We right, you don't know what that like is. Hazy, right. yeah, hazy, hazy weather. That's it, or foggy, something like that. That's this is how we imagine it. And the only thing we picked from that orientation is nine one one, because we knew that if we get there, we will get lost. We should. Remember that nine one one. Any time that we walk out from that classroom, everyone just giggled. If you get lost in America, what will you do? And I call nine one one.
0: that's all that's that you the took out of that it. was <laughs> stuck in our head. You learned um, English during the course of your time in the refugee camps, or I remember they detail you detail this a bit in the in the book about how somebody really yes. took you under their wing and taught you English.
1: Yeah, and there uh, of the refugee camp, I learned a little English. And there was a guy named Michael. He's from Irish. I wish I remember the full name completely. And uh, this Irish man, he helped me to teach me how to uh, read and write. And he gave me a Robin Hood book. And, uh, and then this is where I get a little English. And when I went to U.S., I didn't have enough, but I have to do the best I could to make sure I fit in that culture. And this is where I went took uh, English as a second language, ESL, yeah. and then went to community college. And this is uh, how I've been doing and get a job. And, but I was very lucky, especially with my more family that you saw in that book. They took me in and they helped me a lot for me to stay with them. And I speak English all the time, helped me a lot to to be able to communicate back. But what could I do? I have to do the best I could to make sure I fit in in that culture and be able to to, to survive and do things by myself because I'm free now. I'm not sitting in the camp anymore. Anyway, I stayed US, study, doing, working, doing the best I could to improve my life until after five years or before that, I heard about my father that I didn't hear about him for almost 15 years, 17 years, something like that, that he was still alive. And, he's been admi- and he was being admitted in the UN clinic in South Sudan. And then I said, well, if I find out that my father is still alive, I have to go. And then I went, I went back to South Sudan uh, using UN flight to go to that clinic. And what happened, my dad was sick with some waterborne diseases. And he has to walk away from his village, 300 miles. And my mom was, my mom remained in the village. And, uh, and he walked there with my stepsister to, uh, to that clinic. And when I went there, saw him, and the first time I approached him, I said, hey dad, and he was, he didn't recognize me because I left while I was young. And then I introduced myself and it was very touching. He took some water spread in my head and uh, then we were born again with just kind like really someone was dead and then now you're back from the tomb, from the grave and
0: uh, I want to just ask you know Asalva it's very interesting because um, just to give our audience a picture of this moment with your father it's you the last time he saw you you were an 11 year old child and then it's years later right like what is this 15 years later, you're a grown man. Did he even recognize you? Did he believe that it was you?
1: Yes, he, he didn't recognize me completely. Yes, it didn't. And uh, and anyway, right there, I just like, uh, I stayed with him for almost a month and uh, I find out that there was all this waterborne disease that what why I was sick. And anyway, that's where the idea is formed that nonprofit called Waterfall Sudan at that time started. I came back and I said, well, I, I'm a poor person. I don't have anything. What could I do? And all this, I said, well, let me just go ahead and do it. I registered. I invited all my friends and I said, hey, uh, especially people from St. Paul Episcopal Church in Rochester, New York. And the other church that I used to work on it, a reception is uh, called Downtown United Presbyterian Church. I invited them. I said, "Hey, this is what I want to do and people believed me and then uh, i did i registered a nonprofit 501c3 and the whole thing just
0: picked up picked itself up right there and then so it snowballed I came back. people people found what you were doing very meaningful probably and so yeah. yes. it, the idea really took hold because they saw you as, as an authentic person who had really suffered quite a bit and was trying now to do something meaningful to give back to where you came from. Right. And I think that probably right. resonated with a lot of people. So that's probably to your credit, Salva.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And then I went back, when I came back, and the first uh, well that I drilled, I thought it was just like for people to get clean water, but I didn't know that would trigger other things. And I remember one time we were just the people when we put that machine, the drilling machine, drilling rig. All these people surrounded us watching this magic machine that digging water. And when the water came out in the ground, one of the older men said, gee, my God, I didn't know that I'd been sitting in this dry land while I'm sitting on the water. Imagine that because he didn't know there's deep water underneath him there. And then when the world starts, you see school is coming in, and people, children that die before they reach age five are not dying anymore. clinic is coming in, and you see the community thriving, and stability is coming in, and people that will travel to move from their entire village really, to go to another area, to look for the water and then fight with other tribe there. They are not moving anymore. they settled in one place. All this just happened, and now. The girls that collect water all day long now they don't have to do that. they have opportunity to go to school, and why we deprive them it just because of that little that opportunity that the well has been drilled in that community that's what opened the other the other doors
0: that's amazing and when yeah I, see that, I it think compelled that's, me so much yeah, no, what I think is so interesting salva for for us for me for grace for probably most people listening that are not in africa's you know obviously we take water turning on a tap so for granted right we have sink water shower water water for cooking water for cleaning for everything um so we don't realize what an impact water really has on our day-to-day existence but i think what you're saying is Children couldn't go to school. And just to explain further, the reason that girls were not going to school is because they spent their entire day carrying water um, from the well back to their family, back and forth. Isn't that right?
1: Right. So once you had
0: running water, they no longer had to do that.
1: Yes. And uh, it opened so many doors to other people. And uh, when you just look at that, all these kids are getting healthy and they are going to school, they are drinking clean water and they're going to school and they are learning. Then they would be the one to change their community later on. The only thing I've been doing with all these friends that have been supporting me is school and be supporting me to be able to do that, it's just to open it, just a tiny door for them and the rest they can figure out someday. You said People said always with that prayer saying that teach someone to catch fish instead of catching fish and give it, Give it to it. And that's uh, a. Teach that's a man to been, fish uh, and you feed
0: him for life, I think is what you're saying. Feed him for, yes, right. absolutely. Thank you for clearing it up. And <laughs> that's, this
1: is, no, that's uh, beautiful. And, and this, this is uh, what I've been doing here. And now we actually we drill more than 400 well right now. And uh, yes, and they are serving a quarter of million people those wells and it's really great. And uh, if you come to our company to see people always requesting and see the files of requesting uh, wells, you couldn't believe it. And with this pandemic disease, it uh, triggered it just like increasing, uh, the demand is high because we need to make sure that people don't get uh, get closer on the well. And this is the story of, uh, of my life, and now I'm back here in South Sudan, uh, helping them because it's good for me. I've been, many people have been helping me in my life, right in refugee camp. It's all American taxes being paid by each individual in US. And they take that money to the refugee camp to take care of us. And then when I went to US, people take care of me. I went there with nothing. I didn't have penny. And people take me in. I went through, I, the first time we went there, we didn't have anything, we didn't have a job, and we were put on the welfare. With that money, it's American money. And then you just, now you are free, get a job, and then move on and take care of yourself. Why should I don't come back to and help these people that who cannot help themselves? And I'm proud to be back, and I'm proud for American to give me that endowment, that generosity and support to make life my life better thank you
0: no that's so beautiful because i think what really needs to be said here is um there are a lot of people who have different tragedies in their life and different moments where they want to give up and they can either stop there and give up or they can persevere and then they can do what you did is get through it and then say, you know what, now it's my turn to really give back. And I think that's where meaning in life really comes from, right? Because um, maybe you could have gotten a a really great job here in the U.S. and made more money, um, but to go back to your country to help them is probably fulfilling for you on so many levels to be able to do this. Um, And I think that speaks to your your character and to who you really are as a person. And for just a minute, I I just want to go back because I know you kind of glossed over this, but in in the book, um, A Long Walk to Water, uh, Linda Sue Park details your journey in great detail. Like, you feel yourself in this walk with you. And I just want to let everybody know that you were an 11-year-old boy who witnessed horrific things. I don't want you to get into too much detail if it's not something you want to, but I just want it to be said, you literally watched your uncle being killed before your eyes, you watched your friend that you made, your only friend on the journey, um, being eaten by a lion as horrific, like things that are unimaginable to anybody here in the US. Um, So I think that that needs to be said because it speaks so, um, so importantly to who you are, to be able to have gotten through this as a kind, soft person, and not to be jaded. You know, even speaking with you, right, Grace? He has such a soft voice, and your demeanor is just gentle. And, it's a very powerful, right? and uh, yes, very gentle, yeah. just very wise. And I think it's it's beautiful that you really um, took these experiences, f- and you, you didn't let them change you in a negative way. You really um, took them and turned them around positively, And now you're doing such beautiful and impactful things for so many people. Um, And I'm really like honored to be speaking with you. So I wanna thank you for coming on and for telling us this really important story. Um, I think the water wells that you're building are hugely important um we did a, a small thing on our social media on uh, world water day for water for south sudan and it got such a huge response because i think people when they are presented with this information that they don't really see normally because we don't realize you know about how important water is because it's we take it for granted but when they're presented with it it's really very powerful and it's really something that i'm i'm so happy to be able in my small way to be part of. So thank you for coming on, Salva. I would, I would love you to tell us where people can donate if they would like to, to this important cause.
1: Yeah, before I said that is uh, thank you. I appreciate that and I appreciate your effort uh, to all of you. Of course, this world need all of us to contribute in a positive way how long are we going to live in this world? We are here temporary, but how about our children? Where are we going to? Where are we going to live with them? It's always good to make sure that we teach them good, caring, good manners to make sure they find a way to get along with anyone and find a way to be positive and do positive thing to the world. Imagine I myself. Today doing this is because of the world supporting me to be able to help other people. If the U.S. last time refused not to take the refugees in, I wouldn't be doing this, for example. And, uh, and it's our responsibility because this world is ours together, and we should be doing something positive in whatever ways. I don't have money, and these people they're always helping me when they see this story and supporting me. To be able to do this, which tell all of us that we are one people, one village, one world. We are not separated completely, nothing. Imagine this uh, technology that we have. One person made it somewhere, and now it's all of us together to be able to connect that far. But 100 years ago, we couldn't do such a thing. Yes, it's all the world that uh, make it possible, and because of the people that will make work hard to make things to be positive. That's why we have these pri- privileges that we sh- we have today. And we should keep adding more instead not to allow the negative thing to take us away. And uh, for people to support me like the way they've been supported, they have to go to website, .org. org. That's where okay. they will get any information at, yes, to, okay. to donate in it okay and thank yeah. you very much yeah I appreciate no i think i'd
0: interview. love to just end with one final thing that i think that you said so poignantly is that we all have a shared responsibility to contribute positively to this world and you're teaching that to your children i know you're a father of, of two girls right so yes um it's it's something that we all need to teach ourselves and our children and coming together it's it's everything and connecting is wonderful so i'm happy to connect with you right grace this has been truly wonderful thank you so much salva for coming on our show we're going to have everything
1: including your new york times bestselling book in our show notes today and you've been such a joy and inspiration so thank you and we can't wait to help in any way we
0: can yes and i hope to see you in the us one day very soon I yes. hope
1: so too. Let's pray for this coronavirus virus to go away. Yes. Thank you
0: very much. I pray for that. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for coming on. Thank Bye, you, for Bye for now. Bye for now.